we're almost, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We, have, well, we don't tackle a lot of book studies on Sunday morning, um, but this is one that we have. Uh, we've done a couple of others. We've done Romans on a Sunday morning. We've done Hebrews. And we're uh, almost about to wrap up, almost, uh, probably another couple of months. We'll be finished with our study in 1 Corinthians. And so take out your worship guide. That's there to help you along as we make our way through the study today. And we're in a, a section here of the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul is addressing spiritual gifts. And today's message is entitled, Body Parts. Uh, Paul is going to be talking about, he is going to use a metaphor today of the body to talk about spiritual gifting in the local church and how every person in the church is vital to making sure that the mission of the gospel is carried forth, that the body is working together. And so today's message in a roundabout way is about unity. We've already heard that theme come out in some of our uh, uh, singing and in the testimonies this morning. But we're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. If you don't have a physical copy of, of, of the Bible, go ahead and pull out your phone. Google 1 Corinthians 12 verses 13 through 31. It should pull it up for you. And you should be able to follow, follow right along as we read this passage. Let's go ahead and read the passage that we're studying this morning and have one final word of prayer as we get into the message today. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12 says this, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So Paul's saying there that there's many parts of our body that make up the body. Verse 15, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? It's kind of a rhetorical question. Paul's going to ask a series of these, and the obvious answer is no. Of course your foot is a part of your body, and we're thankful for feet. All God's people said, amen, even though sometimes they're not the smelliest uh, or the freshest thing. Anyway, verse 16, and if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, and I am not of the body, is it not therefore the body? Well, of course not. Our ears are vital to our body, not only hearing, but also having balance. Uh, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? I'm thankful for our noses. Amen? There's probably not a sweeter smell in the universe than barbecue. Amen. All right. Uh, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now are they many members, but yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts, or needless parts, sometimes people might assume, have more abundant needfulness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism or no division in the body. Imagine if your feet did not cooperate with your head. That would be rough, and we've seen how that works out sometimes. But that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. 
And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after the miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Again, a rhetorical question. Of course not. Not all are apostles. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have, have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that is in the Word of God for us today. We know it ministered to the church of Corinth 2,000 years ago, but we're thankful for the timelessness of your Word and how it speaks to us today. And so, Spirit of God, we ask you to speak through your Word today. Challenge us, encourage us, exhort us, and may we today see what you would have for us, and may we purpose in our hearts to be hearers and doers of the word today as we seek to live out the gospel in our life, following your spirit as he leads us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. As I mentioned to you, the Bible gives several metaphors to describe what the church is. Because this church, the, uh, the church of God, is a very interesting organism. It's not an organization. Technically, it's an organism. It's a living, breathing, vibrant uh, body of believers joined together. And the Bible gives several word pictures. How many of you are thankful for those Bibles when you were growing up that had the pictures in them? I loved the Bibles with the, with the pictures in them. And why? Because pictures help us better understand perhaps concepts that we're uh, seeking to grasp. And so the Bible uses several metaphors for the church. One, uh, the Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. Over in Revelation 21 and also Ephesians 5, um, the writers there liken the church to being the bride of Christ. And Christ is the uh, husband, and we are to follow him, and we are to uh, uh, be, be, be united together in relationship with him. And so that's one word picture, and, and some of us um, can, uh, can picture this uh, because it's not too far in the future, right, bride-to-be? And, uh, and, and, and I'll tell you this, I love weddings. Um, I love going to weddings because it is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I love, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, just real quick. There's one person I'm always watching at a wedding, and it's the groom. Isn't it amazing when the groom first sees his bride at the back of the auditorium? And she's, I, I just, I'll tell you, I lose it every time because I'm thinking, that's Jesus. And he's waiting to see us walk down that aisle. And he wants to be with us. And it's just a beautiful picture of the gospel. Anyway, so, so that's one picture. Number two, the church is called the family of God. There's several passages. Uh, let me give those to you real quick if you're going to jot these down. 2 Corinthians 6, 18. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2, liken the church to being the family of God. That's why we call one another brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's that picture of being a family. Uh, thirdly, another metaphor is the church is called God's building or God's temple. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22 and 1 Corinthians 3. The Bible likens the church to being God's building and how he's building the, uh, we are called lively stones even. And we are being, uh, we are the temple of, of God. And then finally, the one that we're looking at today in 1 Corinthians 12 is the church is called the body of Christ. And we see this not only mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 12, but also 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, Ephesians 4, 12, and Romans chapter 12, that the church is called the body of Christ. And this is the most common metaphor 
that is used throughout the New Testament. And uh, there's been a lot of speculation as to why this would be the most common metaphor. Well, number one, we all have bodies, so we would get the picture. But also, um, here specifically in the church of Corinth, in the city of Corinth, there was a temple uh, made to a pagan god, but, but it would have been a common word picture that everybody would have understood, and that was uh, this temple to, to Asclepius. I can't say that this morning. The temple of Asclepius. And what they would literally do is they would take parts of their body, if they had an ailment in their body, and they would take these clay parts that had been molded of different parts of the body, and they would offer these parts as prayers uh, on, a, on an altar sacrifice for healing. And so people would have been, uh, been uh, well understood of, of this illustration that Paul would have been using. Uh, hospitals in ancient times were located typically at the temple of Asclepius. And so as we wrapped up our study last week, Paul gives us this picture again, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And the big thought we looked at last week was God has given you one or more gifts to use for the benefit of the body of Christ. And so he desires for us to use that as we serve together as a local church. In fact, we can't be the church God's called us to be unless we are taking the gift that God's given to us and we are an active part of the body of Christ together, unified, serving and working together. The thought this week is this, and we're going to see this play out here in our text, and that's this. The unity of the church is surprisingly and clearly seen through the beauty of its diversity or the beauty of its variety. And you see this theme. Paul had already been building this in verses 4 through 9 of this passage that we studied last week. Just look back there quickly. It says, now there are diversities of gifts. There's the diversity, but the same spirit, unity. There are differences of administrations, there's the diversity again, but the same Lord, unity. There are varieties of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the ministration of the Spirit is given to, or the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So there again, diversity, every man to profit with all, unity. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge. There's the diversity by the same Spirit. There's the unity. So you have this theme playing throughout this passage of the fact that we're all gifted differently, but we're all to be working in unison, harmony together as we serve together as the body of Christ. And so you would think, and, here, and here's the paradox of this, you would think that the diversity of the different gifts in the church would bring disunity, but actually diversity is meant to bring unity and strengthen the body of Christ. And so the theme throughout is unity in the midst of variety of different spiritual gifts. And so the beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ should result in unity. But we know that that's not always the case. And so Paul starts here and he says in verses 13 and 14, "...for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body." whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. And we have all been made to drink into one spirit. So Paul has been talking about this diversity of spiritual gifting. And now he even throws in a couple of other thoughts when he says that there's also ethnic diversity, meaning Jew and Gentile he's brought together as the church. Also economic diversity, you had rich and poor being brought together as the church. In fact, a few weeks ago, we studied an issue where the rich were being selfish in the church, eating all the food before the poor got there, if you remember. And then also there was social diversity, meaning that 
you, you had people who knew this person, that person, but they were coming together and they had a new bond in this amazing truth of the gospel. And so, Paul lays out here, for the body is not one member, but many. And so this theme of the unity of the church is surprisingly and clearly seen through the beauty of its diversity. Now, he introduces this section in 12 through 14, verses 12 through 14, and then in verses 15 through 31, he really begins to lay out uh, three issues where diversity, while it should unite us, typically it divides us. Typically, a variety of spiritual gifts can work towards dividing us rather than uniting us. And then what he's going to do is present three problems for how this gift diversity can actually breed disunity. And what he wants us to see is that uh, gift diversity should show the beauty of the unity of the body of Christ, but instead, this variety of gifting can oftentimes result in church disunity. How many of you have ever been a part of a church that wasn't uh, exactly what it should be in being united together? I think probably all of us would say we've all had an experience in a church where that's happened. Well, what I want us to see today is that perhaps a big reason for why there's a lot of disunity in churches is because we do not understand how we're gifted and how different gifts work together to bring about the unity that God desires. And so with that, I would encourage you to write these down, give some thought to them as we consider how we're serving and how we work together towards unity rather than disunity. So number one, the first danger of differing spiritual gifts can be this, and that is what we call gift envy. Gift envy. Gift envy says this, I wish I had your spiritual gift. I wish I had your spiritual gift. Look at verses 15 and 16, and notice what it's saying here. It says, If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? So what you have here is you have the foot saying, Well, I'm not that important. I wish I could be the... Um, I wish I could be the hand, but I'm not the hand, so I'm not a part of the body. And then the, uh, uh, the uh, ear shall say, well, I'm not the eye. I wish I could be the eye, but I'm not the eye, so I'm not a part of the body. So what you have here is you have gift envy. Another way to say this is because I don't have your gift, I'm not all that important. This happens a lot in churches. A lot of times, and, and where this happens is, is people who have giftings that place them more up in front of people. Sometimes people who are sitting out there like, oh man, I wish I could sing like that. Man, I wish I could do that. And we get into this, unfortunately, this cycle of gift envy where we wish that we could, could have different gifts maybe than what God is giving to us. So let, let me just share this thought. Wishing you had a different spiritual gift doesn't make you a better Christian. It just makes us a nervous wreck. Because often what it does is we begin to convince ourselves that we have a spiritual gift that we don't actually have because we want a gift that we don't have. Probably all of us could say that either we've been in that situation or we've seen that situation where someone looks at another gift and they try to make themselves have a spiritual gift and it creates a lot of awkwardness and uh, friction in a church. 
You know, I've actually heard of people who get upset when, uh, you know, they have this competition going. Well, who can sing better? I mean, folks, if that's our focus, we've totally lost our focus to begin with, right? Well, you know, they, they put that person up there more than they put. That's called gift envy. And we're totally missing the whole reason why God gave us the gifts. God didn't give us the gifts to say, look at us, look at us, look at us. God gave us the gifts to say, look at him, look at him, look at him. He's worthy of all of our focus. And so gift envy creates this tension in the body, and it creates, and it tends toward disunity. And so we see this being played out here in this passage in in verses 15 through 20. We've already read verses 15 and 16. Let's keep reading. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And so Paul's really asking this question to get these people to see that, hey, you're, you're sitting over here envying the fact that you don't have this gift and that you want it, but yet... Think about the fact that the whole body were that were an eyeball. That would be kind of weird. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be kind of weird. And we'll talk about that here in a second. We'll kind of revisit that. But the point is, is that we don't have to be good at everything, and we can't be good at everything. We're not gifted at everything. Yes, some people's gifts are more prominent and easily seen in the body, but the reality is everyone's gift is important, and it's vital for a functioning body. How many of us know that in our own body, a stomach is kind of important? but it's not necessarily seen. It's on the inside. How many of us know a brain's important? Yeah, a brain's important, but it's not necessarily physically seen. We can see its effects, but those are two important organs in the body that are, that, are, that are meant to be there, but they're not necessarily physically visible. And so as you keep reading, look at verse uh, 17. So if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And so, as you think about this, um, one of the reasons that I love my wife is she has beautiful eyes. But it would be really weird if, my, if, if all my wife consisted of was a big eyeball rolling down the hallway. That would be weird. That would be grotesque. That would be odd. You know, I, there, that's one trait of who she is, but that's not all of who she is. And what God is laying out here is that every one of these parts of the body of Christ serves a vital function. Um, think about this. I'm going to share this illustration. Um, Think about a pro golfer. A pro pro golfer does not focus on dunking a basketball better. What does he focus on? He focuses on the putting green. He focuses on the driving range. Why? Because he's a pro golfer, and he knows that that's where he's gifted. So he's not trying to dunk a basketball like Michael Jordan is. But what we have sometimes in churches is we have people who are focusing on trying to be something they're not. Why? Because of gift envy. I wish I had your gift. And really what they're saying by that is they're saying, well, my gift's not important, as important as yours. And that's just not the case because God is laying out here very clearly that every part of the body serves a function. It serves a vital function. And so as we look at the different areas of our ministry, we have to consider the truth of what God is laying out here. You know, there's a lot of areas in our ministry where people might assume that those are not important. For instance, I think one of the most often overlooked areas in our ministry is those who are gifted in serving in sound and media, who serve up there in that sound booth. And do you know this? That's really a, many times it's a thankless job. Um, And the only time they get noticed is when, when something doesn't go right. You know, when something does go right, we're all like, you know, looking at them. Hey, guys, good to see y'all up there. You know, it's like we're, we're looking at them. 
but, but they get here early, they stay late, they're here for practices. I mean, same way with our worship team. Again, these are things that are up front. But hey, can I tell you this? As, as, a, as much of a blessing as Brother Dwayne's song was, if we didn't have the people behind the scenes running the, the sound and, and the mics and, and all that, then it wouldn't be as effective as it could be. If there were not people right now who were uh, soldiering in the nursery... I mean, talk about a thankless job, wiping a baby's bottom. How many of you are just like, I can't, that's my spiritual gifting, Pastor. I can't wait to go wipe a baby's bottom. But you know what? It's needful. It is no less important than what I am doing right this very moment. And just because one part of the body is more visible than the other doesn't mean that any one of those parts is not needed. And so the reality is this, that a lot of times in our churches, there can be this issue of gift envy, where we look at other people's gifts and we think, well, I'm not as gifted as they are. I wish I had their gift. My gift's not important. And God is clearly telling us here that's not the case. In trying to focus on something that you're not good at, you will end up neglecting the very thing that you're best at. Think, that, think, think about that statement. It's so true. And when it comes to church life and even outside of church life. I mean, how many of you see this in your workplace? You have people that continually try to make themselves better at things that clearly God hasn't gifted them at, and they're going to so much effort, and, the, and it's just like, man, if you would just be at rest in who God's made you to be, that's okay. And you could serve at what you're best at. And so unity is not seen in where I don't match up to someone else's gifts. It's seen in noticing and rejoicing in how God has gifted me and it's noticing and rejoicing in how God has gifted others. And so I want to challenge us to focus on what God has made us best at, not on what we're not good at to try to become somebody who we're not. Be thankful for how God has gifted us. The church's unity is accomplished in using your gift, not in envying someone else's. That's how unity is accomplished. Not through envying someone else's gift, but in using yours. And what do we need you to do here at, at our church? If you're gifted, which all of us are, if you're saved, you have these spiritual gifts that God has given to you. Number one, we need you to serve in your area of greatest ability. And you might say, well, I don't know what my area is. So stay tuned. We're going to share with you ways that we're going to help you discover your gift. So stay tuned for the end of the sermon here as we apply it. But we need you. I'm going to look at everybody in this room. Good morning. How's everybody? We need you to serve in your spiritual gifting. We need you to serve in the area of your greatest ability. And so I hope that you will do that. But number two, we need you to serve. We need you to serve in an area of our greatest need. You know, in a smaller church, when we are a smaller church, sometimes 10% uh, of the people do 90% of the work. And I get it, we're all busy. But folks, God has brought us together for kingdom work to serve together, and we need you. There are areas in our ministry right now that are suffering because whether, and I think what happens sometimes is we say, oh, well, all the positions are feel, filled, you know. Oh, it doesn't, and maybe for us as leadership, we need to do a better job of letting you know the areas where there are needs. And so we're working on that. But we need you to serve in your area of greatest ability. But then there's even sometimes, especially in a church of our size, where we need you to serve in, in an area of our greatest need as well. 
And so as we go forward, and we're going to be presenting to you opportunities how you can take your gifting and serve and get involved, we hope that you will prayerfully consider doing that. If each person was just serving in one area here in our church. Now again, in in a church of our size, you might be serving in two or three at times. But our goal is to have each person here in our church attending a morning service, being a part of a small group, and being a part of a ministry team. And so we need you to serve. And so we hope that you will prayerfully consider taking, discovering your gift, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, and then unleashing that gift in the local church as you serving in the body. So the first danger and, and, and the first way many times that our spiritual gifting can bring disunity is gift envy. Number two, there's another way, and that is what we call gift elevation. Gift elevation. What this says is that my gift is better than your gift. So in gift envy, you're like, oh, well, I wish I had their gift. In gift elevation, the person who's gifted differently thinks, well, well, my gift is better than yours. After all, I am the gift to God's creation. You know, and so we get this elevated view of self. And so while gift envy is almost rooted in what I call self-pity, right? So gift envy says, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not this person. I'm not gifted like they are. And so that's rooted in self-pity. Gift elevation is rooted in self-promotion or self-pride, where my gift is better than your gift. Look, Look and compare verse 15 to verse 21. It says, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, so there is gift envy. But look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you. Do, you. do you sense the change in tone there? So one is gift envy, but the second danger towards disunity and spiritual gifting is gift elevation. Where we say, well, those aren't as important. Now, we might not ever say this out loud, but many times it can be insinuated that we think that our gifting is superior to others. And so again, a role may seem less important to our culture because in our culture, who gets praised? The superstars on the team. Those who uh, score the most points, right? And so as you look at that, in our culture, we evaluate giftedness on supposed prominence But to God, none of these gifts are less important. They are all indispensable. They are all essential. And so the reason that Paul brought up this second issue of gift elevation to the church of Corinth was because that's what they were doing. They were taking certain gifts like speaking in tongues, prophecy, healings, all those sign gifts, and they were elevating them. And they were walking around like, ooh, we're special. Where they thought they were, you know, they were the... the, uh, the top cheese in the church, so to speak. And so that's why Paul brought these out because, or brought out this issue, is because those spectacular and supernatural gifts were getting elevated in prominence. Look at verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be, see, there's the issue. We assume that some gifts are less important, less honorable, but they're not. And Paul says, when in you elevating certain gifts, what you're doing is you're creating division, schisms in the body. Look at verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. So let me illustrate it this way. And I forgot to bring my hammer. Ah! How many have a hammer in your pocket? Anybody got a hammer? Anybody? Hammer? Oh, oh, yeah. Scott's like, I've got a hammer. No, not that kind, Scott. Thank you. Let's say you go home today. What, what do you like to do on a Sunday afternoon? Anybody just like to go home and watch some good old Sunday afternoon football? Anybody? 
I like to go home and sleep while I try to watch Sunday afternoon football. And so, you know, I'm sure today uh, I'll go home now. Now, now I've actually got to go somewhere this afternoon. But, but on some, some Sunday afternoons, I'll just go home, turn on, you know, whoever's playing, get my, you know, my sweet tea or whatever, get some chips, and I'll just start enjoying watching the game. Imagine if you were sitting there, you know, this afternoon watching football or whatever you like to do, like some of you ladies, you, you, you've already started watching the Hallmark Christmas movie every single day. Anyway, just... just I didn't say that with any, any measure of disgust, did I? Anyway, just imagine sitting there, and all of a sudden, you're enjoying the game, your eyes are watching the game, your ears are hearing the game, and all of a sudden, you take out a hammer, and you smash your left thumb. I mean, you just hit it as hard as you can. Question, are you going to enjoy the game all that much at that point? Of course not. Now, you might, but, but you can still see the game. You can still hear the game. You can still control the remote with your other thumb. But that's your thumb. Better yet, how many of you are like me? You're walking in the middle of the night, and it happens. The baby toe gets stubbed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The baby toe? And when your baby toe gets stubbed, you might as well have been shot in the head because it is painful. The point is, and what God's bringing out here, is that we care for every single member. You might say, but, this, but it's just your thumb, but it's just your baby toe. It's not a big deal. No, it's a big deal. And if you smash your thumb, if you stub your baby toe, your whole body will contort. And what it shows us is that every member of the body is vital and we need to get out of our heads that will just because, you know, my gift is better than yours. And in fact, this is unfortunately even crept into how pastors pastor. They present this idea that they are the unapproachable, the man of God, and they have these great and glorious gifts and, and they are God's gift to the church. You know what? That's a wrong, that's an elevated view of ego. Dangerous. No, every member of the body is vital. How many of you walk into maybe small groups on a, on a Sunday? This is why small groups can be so helpful and beneficial to us. Maybe you walk in and you have had a rough week. You have been beat up. You have, you have made, made several mistakes in your life, failure after failure. And you walk in and you hear of someone who has had great victory. How does that help you? That encourages you, doesn't it? And in the same way, you walk into a small group and maybe you've had a great week. And then all of a sudden you see someone who is suffering, who is going through unimaginable grief. And all of a sudden, your great week really becomes, you, you start taking on that person's suffering and you suffer with them. So what we see here is that God wants us to uh, take care of one another in the body. No, there's, there is no gift that's more important than the other because all of them are serving together. Verse 26, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Um, March 28, 1990, the Chicago Bulls were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you're a basketball fan and you followed Michael Jordan during those days, you know that that is the game where Michael Jordan scored 69 points in a single game. 69 points in a single game. After the game, uh, one of the interviewers was interviewing one of Michael Jordan's teammates. This is one of the funniest, but probably one of the most appropriate quotes for even this message today. 
uh, they, were, they were interviewing one of Michael Jordan's teammates. His name was Stacy King. He was a rookie, actually playing his rookie year for the Chicago Bulls. And the interviewer asked Stacy King about playing in a game where Michael Jordan had just scored 69 points. Here's what Stacy King said. Tonight will always be remembered as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> I love that quote. It's probably one of the most hilarious. I mean, and you just had to know Stacy King in watching that. And it's remembered to this day for its timeliness of humor because Stacy King scored one point to add on to Michael Jordan 69. But you know what? What he said was humorous, but it was also actually pretty poignant and true. And that is, imagine if there had only been four players on the court that night and Stacy King hadn't been playing defense. He hadn't been rebounding the basketball. He wasn't there as a part of the offense, even moving the ball around. I'm sure passing the ball off to Michael Jordan a couple of times when he was open to make those points. If there had only been four people on the court that night, how many points would Michael Jordan have scored? I guarantee you it would have been less than 69. What's the point? The point is, is that, yeah, you've got the superstars, you've got the Michael Jordans, but they're only as good because we can see this even in teams today. You can have a team full of superstars and they can have a losing record. Why? Gift elevation. So these are things that bring disunity to the body. So we see gift elevation, gift envy. I wish I had your gift. Gift elevation, my gift's better than yours. And then finally, gift projection, which says this. You should be like me. You should be like me. Your gift, you should be like me because this is how I'm gifted. Look at verses 27 and 28. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So, God, so, so the Lord's saying here, you're part of the body of Christ and you each have a function, members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? And he just asks these questions. And why is he doing that? Because I believe that the third issue here that can bring disunity is this problem of gift projection. What this means is, is that we look at someone who doesn't have our gift and we say, come on. Why can't you get it together and be like me? Let me give you a few illustrations of this. If you are a person who is gifted in the gift of mercy, and you, um, and this thought here, no gift is normative for everyone, meaning not everyone has the same gift. So if you're a person who has the gift of mercy, you're a person who's very focused on compassion-based ministries. And people who are merciful, they tend to live very basic lifestyles with low consumption, and they give high percentage of income away. Um, in fact, if you knew how much a mercy person gave, it would probably shock you. They sacrifice of their time, they sacrifice of their money for issues of justice, um, issues of mercy. And when you get to know them and talk with them, you might even feel a bit guilty when comparing yourself to them because you're not as merciful as they are. Now, should all of God's people work at being merciful? Sure. But there are some people who, it is very obvious, as I look out across this room, there are just some people who have the gift of mercy. And I can tell you this, 
I've had to deal with more than once in my ministerial life of 16 years. I've had to deal with folks who are very sensitive towards mercy issues and them wondering, well, why can't so-and-so be as merciful as I can be? And so there becomes the struggle. Well, why don't they think of others like I think of others? Well, should they work on that? They should. But that's not their gift. The same way with evangelism. There are some people who are just naturally outgoing. They are naturally people people, people persons. They don't know a stranger. They can carry a conversation for 30 minutes to an hour with a stranger in the supermarket at Walmart. And they just have the gift of meeting people. Now, should we all evangelize? Absolutely. But not everyone will go about it in the same way. And the reality is there are some people who are just more naturally outgoing and they don't know a stranger. But again, I've seen it where evangelists who have the gift of evangelism, they look at people who aren't as outgoing and say, well, why can't you just get it together? Again, you have this gift projection where we assume that everybody should be just like you. And if they're not, that's a problem. Well, praise God that we have other people who focus on other things in the body of Christ. That's why we need one another. And so rather than being envious of one another's gifts, rather than elevating one another's gifts over another, and rather than projecting our gift onto someone else, how about we be thankful that God has set every member in the body to work together? The reality is, is we all have a bias toward our gifting. And if we're not careful, we begin to think that everyone else should have the same focus as we do on everything. There are folks who love music. They're gifted in music. In fact, if you probably survey the people in here who love music and have the gift of music and the gift of edifying the body through music, they're going to probably say, we don't sing enough in our worship services. I'm looking across the room. Yeah, some of y'all don't think we sing enough. And then there's people who don't have the gift of music who think, man, we don't need to sing but like one verse of one song and then let's just do all the preaching. And so we have those people. And rather than what I do, do, do what I call, rather than drive by guilting people because they don't necessarily have your gift, how about we focus on what God has called us to do and encourage and find out, okay, how can we get evangelists and mercies and prophets and uh, people who have the heart of edifying the body through teaching and music. How we get all these people to work together? Look at verse 31. The key is, here's the key, and we're going to have to wait till next week to really dig into this, but Paul says this. He says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. What is he saying? He's saying... The gifts that are motivated by love, and we're going to get into that next week. The gifts that are motivated by love. When a gift, when your gifting is motivated and grounded by love, that is the difference. When you're envious of someone else, you're not loving. When you're elevating your gift over someone else, you're not loving. When you're projecting your gift onto someone else, that's not love. And so, how do we apply this truth to our lives today? We've heard the teaching. What's the application? Number one, discover your gift. Discover your gift. Do you know how God has gifted you for the local church? I want to give to you quickly just some ways that you can discover your gift. Number one, experiment. 
experiment. Try many areas of serving here in our church. We've got greeters, ushers, nursery workers, people involved in music, people involved in sound, people involved in media, um, uh, all different ways for serving. Try many areas. Experiment. Many of you right now are experimenting with helping clean the building. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and maybe you're finding out, I'm not gifted at that. But try many different areas of serving. Ask these questions. What do you enjoy? What are some things that you look through in a church and you say, man, I would enjoy doing that? Or maybe you've done it in the past. Ask that question. Number two, what comes naturally to you? What, what are some things that you're just like, man, this fits me. This fits. I enjoy doing this. Number three, what succeeds when you do it? And that's an important question. When you do something, do you succeed in doing it well? And maybe a fourth question tied to that, what do others tell you that you do well? Without you fishing for comments, what do people just come up and say, you know what, I see this gifting in your life. You know, I think we all need to do that more. I think that's so important for us as the body of Christ that when we see how someone else is gifted, that we affirm that and confirm that. And I could spend the next 30 minutes looking across this room and telling you how you're gifted. Perhaps that's one thing that we can do in small groups, maybe even today, as we go into the next following weeks, as we continue to talk about spiritual gifts. Think about how we can look at others and say, you know what, I see that gifting in, in your life. I see this gifting. I see that you're successful when you do this. So discover your gift. I really hope that one of the practical outworkings of this message today is that you would discover how God has gifted you. So discover your gift, which then would lead, we want you to use your gift. We want you to use your gift. And to that end, we have some surveys here, both a spiritual gift survey and a Fairview ministry survey, orange and yellow. You'll be able to get those at the table on your way out. This will help you to begin to discover your gift and see how you can use it in the church. So listen, if there's one decision I would love for you to make today, Get both of these, fill them out, and then give them to our assistant pastor, Pastor Don. Wave at us, Pastor Don. He's in his beautiful red sweater vest this morning. And can I just say that it's a joy to serve with Pastor Don. He is gifted both in the areas of administration, but also teaching. If you've ever heard him teach, he is a blessing. That's one of his gifts, isn't it? And also administration. I look across this room, I see Petra Mason. Hi, Petra, how are you? She has the gift, I know. I love you, Petra. She's my sister in Christ. She has a gift of mercy. She is always thinking about others. And as I look across this room, I see people who have the gift of communicating the power of the gospel through music. And I see uh, Jessica, I see Blake and Rebecca, Scott, Rachel. A lot of these teenagers have that gift. Of course, Rebecca playing the piano. I look across this room, I see, every, I see people who are gifted in working with little children. I see our children's teachers who teach every week. George and Pam, Eric and Jody. Uh, of course, I'm going to miss people now as I'm looking across the room, but, but you're gifted in teaching children. Thank you for doing that. Here's my challenge. If you're not yet involved in serving, we need you. <laughs> Go back to that statement. We need you, so use your gifts. Discover your gift. Use your gift. Number three, enjoy your gift. Oh, enjoy what you're doing. Oh, is it duty sometimes? Of course. But there's also a lot of delight in what we get to do. When you're serving and you're gifting... There's no greater joy, is there? So we hope that you can serve. And listen, if, if, if you're not serving, and, and we need to do it, please, let's have conversations. We want to make sure that you're using your gift. 
as God has gifted you. So enjoy your gift. Number four, avoid the dangers that we talked about today. Avoid gift envy, elevation, and projection. And then finally, recognize that not everyone will use their gift, so be willing to help where needed. Listen, my prayer is that 100% of the people in this room today would apply this, would get involved, but the reality is not 100% are going to use their gift. We hope that you will. We hope you'll come along with us on this journey. But I want to challenge those who are here. You might be asked to serve in areas where you're not exactly gifted. And so we want to encourage you to help where needed. So where are you serving in a way that is helping others grow in their relationship with Christ? How can we help you make a difference in our body? So I want to challenge you, serve, because that shows the beauty and the diversity of the body of Christ.